This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello and welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 31, with new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube and all the usual audio podcast platforms, so be sure to subscribe to us wherever you're listening or watching. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show, as always. Thank you. Glad to, glad to have you here, glad to have the audience here listening in, and for, uh, for informational purposes, we are going to have a great episode for you today. We have uh, a special guest later in the show, we're going to have... Uh, Cameron Carpenter, who is a senior consultant at Third Stage Consulting. We're going to talk to him about something a little bit different that we haven't really covered a lot on the show yet, but it's more about uh, how to become a good consultant. You know, what are some of the uh, lessons and pros and cons of being a consultant? What has his experience been as a, as a consultant at Third Stage? He's been with the company now for over two years and started off without a whole lot of experience prior to coming to Third Stage. So, I really wanted to walk through later in the show when we have him on, I wanted to walk through the journey that he's been through in terms of just getting up to speed. How did he adapt? What does he like about it? What doesn't he like? Um, you know, what's, what are some of the traits that are important to a good consultant? And I think this is going to be relevant for anyone who's obviously in the consulting industry, but I think even for people that are either contemplating maybe someday becoming a consultant, or if you hire consultants as, as part of your organization, it, it's, it'll be an interesting conversation just to give you sort of a a behind the scenes glimpse of what it's like being a consultant, especially for someone who's adapting and adjusting and getting up to speed in, in, the, in the world of consulting. So we'll have him on the show later today. We'll also do a debrief of that discussion later on. Uh, Kyler and I will sort of unpack some of the things that uh, Cameron and I talk about. But before we get to our guest today, uh, we wanted to, for people that maybe have been on summer break, maybe they haven't been listening to all the podcasts all summer that we've had, there's been a lot of news and a lot of stuff that's happened in the digital transformation and enterprise technology space uh, over the last few weeks. So we thought we'd do sort of a, a rundown of some of the, the headline stories that are relevant to today's environment. So um, Kyler, why, why don't you kick us off? What are some of the, the headlines or the stories that you're seeing in the in the media and in the industry? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, a lot of hot topics out there. I think this is a, an interesting um catalog of subjects we'll cover here in the beginning because we've talked about all of them before. So a little bit kind of an update on on what's happening or or any developments in that narrative. So let's start with ransomware. Um, and we know um, Accenture actually has been victim of a ransomware attack uh, that happened. And um, I wondered if where we could start here in knowing that these big companies are getting hit, the bigger kind of consulting firms, what would what would they be looking for? Can you help us understand, like, why would you hit a, a global consulting firm as opposed to obviously like the Colonial Pipeline and and different financial firms? It's it's pretty clear, at least the person can kind of deduce what they might be looking for. But with the censure, knowing, you know, that they are 
um, within the ERP industry and, and you know them well, what would they be looking for as far as data or value in doing a ransomware attack? Is it just kind of the money and they feel like they can pay it? Or what, what kind of insight can you provide? Well, just as a disclaimer, I am not a hacker, so I can't tell you with 100% certainty why why someone might want to hack anyone, uh, especially Accenture. But what I would suspect, if I had to guess, I would think that Accenture is such a big, well-known company that has a lot of high-profile clients that that would be a ripe target for a hacker because they have a lot to lose by having some sort of breach. And, um, you know, they're a big enough organization that they might have the resources to pay you off to let them have their... Uh, privacy and all their data and everything back. Um, so, and that's usually why they do it is to get some kind of money or extract some some kind of money out of out of a company like Accenture. So, big big name. A lot of people know of them. A lot of clients uh, know of them. So they have a lot to lose by having a security breach. Uh, so I suspect it's just they're they're ripe for someone that's probably more willing to pay up big bucks to to a ransom type of situation than uh, than a smaller organization that no one's ever heard of. I suppose their secondary uh, reason could be that they've got all this information and data, presumably, in their internal systems and internal uh, data that is relevant to all their different clients, which are some of the biggest, highest profile companies in the world. Uh, I don't know if that's sort of a secondary reason or maybe that's the main reason. I, I don't know. Uh, but those are a couple of reasons I could think of. If I try to put myself in the shoes of a potential hacker, why would that be? Well, if you are a hacker and you know, please just let us know, you know, in the comments on this episode. Right. But, um, so it sounds like, um, you know, the, they were attacked by um, the Lockbit ransomware gang. And I think it's interesting kind of the parallels between actual gang mentality or mob mentality and these ransomware attackers. So I know um, Microsoft specifically, I think we said it was pronounced Azure, right? Their ransomware software. Oh, no, don't. I knew you were going to ask I know, me we're that. back here it, again. We still don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's it. Azure. Is it okay. Azure or Azure? We had the same conversation before, and I can never remember. So I, yeah. hopefully everyone knows who yeah. we're talking about. A-Z-U-R-E yeah. is how you spell it. But they have new some new ransomware detection features that they are unveiling in the, the industry that shows kind of um, stages and specific timelines or red flags of a potential ransomware activities. Um, and I'm wondering if you think that this this could be kind of a trend in the software industry of coming out with these new kind of ransomware, not only software pieces, but also just overall process pieces. Because I see that there could be an opportunity for a company to come in and teach you how to get out of a ransomware attack, right? Because you, all of a sudden you're held up by $45 million and the, the government is saying, please don't pay them. And you're like, okay, well, are you going to pay them? Because <laughs> we right. got to get back online here. So I'm wondering if you think that might be a trend or almost like a an industry service line that might kind of evolve in the, in the coming future. I do. And I, I do think it's a trend that's evolving and it's a smart, it's a smart thing to do. It's a smart play on Microsoft's part. Um, not only because cybersecurity is such a big deal and it's so high profile now with, you know, like you said, the Colonial Pipeline and Accenture and other big companies getting hacked or having some sort of ransomware situation, but also because, you know, one of the hesitations that you'd be surprised at how many CIOs and IT departments still have these hesitations about moving to the cloud. And so, you know, they, there's a perception that I'm going to lose control if I let Azure 
you know any other uh, cloud provider hosts my my data and my applications, I, I I'm losing a bit of control, or it may feel like I'm losing control. And what if Microsoft gets hacked, or what if you know something happens that I can't control? Um, so that's largely you know that's still a, a problem with cloud adoption is that that perception. I you know I tend to counter that perception by the way with the fact that. Microsoft probably has more resources than you do, no matter who you are and what IT department you might work for. They probably have more resources to help mitigate against that risk so that you're probably better off having a bunch of pros that are watching, you know, the, the situation 24-7. So I think it is something that's uh, that should help, I would think. It would help with cloud adoption or it would help alleviate the fears of if I move to Azure or um, AWS or one of these big uh, cloud providers, um, you know, what if they get hacked? And so this is, I think, a good way to mitigate some of that risk. And it's also, you look at the dollars and cents of how many or how much money organizations are losing through these hacks and ransomware and cybersecurity breaches and all that stuff. And it's a lot of money. So it's probably money well spent for a lot of organizations to look at cybersecurity options like this. And it should be part of your digital strategy and digital roadmap going forward. It, it shouldn't just be focused on applications or data or integration. It should also be focused on cybersecurity as well. Right, right, definitely. And if anyone is looking for more information on this, um, we have on the Third Stage YouTube channel um, from our recent stratosphere, Daryl um, Crockett, who is our cybersecurity expert here at Third Stage, and then also Marcus Harris from a contracting standpoint. Um, he's a our partner at TAFWA. They have a great session. So if you head over onto the YouTube channel, um, you can um, watch that for more kind of granular information. But, you know, speaking of transfer transformations um, and digital strategy, Tesla did something interesting on another topic that we've discussed, discussed, which is the chip shortage. So basically, they created new innovation to start to make their own chips, um, as opposed to relying on foreign chip manufacturers um, to give them kind of that technology. And we, we know here that Tesla actually has their headquarters in Texas here um, in the States. So in looking towards that, I wonder if, if um, I don't know if, if you have expertise here, Eric, but taking us through kind of when you're in that type of supply chain shortage, if you will, knowing that Tesla obviously has the means to develop something and do some R&D around chip research. But what are some, you know, some best practices that a company of any size can do if they have a supply chain shortage, specifically with a certain part or vendor or something like that, that they can kind of get through that blockchain? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a few things. I mean, first of all, having visibility and understanding to what is going on in your supply chain. I, I think uh, that's one of the big problems that organizations are facing right now in the last year and a half is that with some of these supply chain disruptions and shortages and whatnot, it's exposed the weaknesses of many supply chains. And by weakness, I mean, it's not just that you don't have the right vendors or the, you know, the right supply chain strategy necessarily. It's that you just can't track, you know, who your vendors are or which What's your prioritization of the vendors and where you, you know, where are your risks within the supply chain? So there's a lot of technology out there now that is focusing not just on automating the supply chain, but helping you more proactively address the supply chain. So I think that's one thing is just making sure you've got the right um, you know, technology and processes and organization to support this new era 
of supply chain management that that we're entering. Um, so I apologize. Now I lost I lost track of your question. I, I don't know if I answered it, but I was going down a, a rabbit hole of, of supply chain technology. But what, uh, is that what you were asking, or is that something different? Yeah, yeah. So basically, you're saying, if I hear me hearing you right, that my question is, how can our listeners or company members um, or business owners um, help? get through supply chain shortage. We've seen it not only obviously Tesla and the global ship ship shortage, but on more of kind of a, a granular level, what can you do if there's a, a vendor that you know, you're utilizing, you can't get the specific parts or what kind of controllables do you have in that situation? It sounds like yeah. if you invest in that automation based off your answer, um, that can help foresee or, or kind of, um, foreshadow a potential issue in um, demand or overall um, supply chain optimization, right? Yeah, I mean, it all starts with that keyword you mentioned, which is demand. I mean, if, if you know and have a good handle on what your demand is, then you, you're going to be more likely to be able to plan your supply chain and execute accordingly. I think the problem with a lot of organizations is they, they don't uh, anticipate demand well. They might have the best, you know, the most finely tuned supply chain to support it, but if you can't if you can't accurately um, predict demand or forecast demand, then it doesn't matter how well you execute your supply chain because it's going to be based on a faulty assumption. So I think, you know, having uh, a good handle on what your demand is, which is very difficult right now, admittedly, because you have every or I mean, literally every client we work with, I feel like is somehow directly or indirectly impacted by supply chain shortages. And it, it just trickles like a domino throughout the entire economy. So you might have everything all figured out and in normal times you've got the right demand levels forecast, but if you've got a customer that has some sort of uh, supply chain issue that disrupts their ordering pattern, that disrupts your demand, and it sort of just resonates or reverberates throughout the throughout the supply chain. So it, it's easier said than done, but the more accurate it can be through demand planning, the better. And then certainly if you can identify bottlenecks and risks, so things like... Um, if you're heavily concentrated in a geopolitically risky area, like, uh, you know, say like a China or now in recent days and weeks, uh, Afghanistan or the Middle East, you know, if you have supply chains that are dependent on those areas for whatever it is, um, then those are some of the uh, some of the challenges or some of the, the things that you want to be able to anticipate and say, OK, we've got geopolitical risk here. So let's diversify our supply chain so we don't or we're less likely to experience uh, shortages during that um, during those times. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I mean, it's certainly a hard time to kind of try and foresee that, but good for Tesla, you know, for creating a left-hand turn, if you will, there, see car metaphor, um, right. to, you know, create some innovation around their chips. The, this article I had looked at, um, BMW actually had to stop production on some of their cars and it cost them, you know, tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars um, to be able to do that. So still a huge issue with the global chip shortage, but we do see software companies kind of overcoming that um, and helping yeah. to rewrite the software on chips so that we can get kind of back to production. Um, yeah, you, br you bring up, sorry to interrupt you, sorry, but there's, you bring up a couple of good points though, which are that um, it does make you wonder if more organizations are gonna move to, to more vertical integration so in, you know, parts of their supply chain or parts of their production that they may have outsourced in the past, are they going to bring that in-house to at least have some, you know, more control and visibility into the supply chain or in the manufacturing or just distribution, whatever it is, 
Whereas in the past, you might have outsourced it or worked with partners to help you complete your supply chain. Are, will we see more organizations bring that stuff in-house? Um, that's, that's one thing that, or one question that I don't have a good answer to. I have, a, I have a hypothesis, but I don't know if it's true or not. I think companies will start to do more of that, but it's like a pendulum, you know, over time, now we're swinging back towards maybe more vertical integration and someday in the future, it'll swing back to more outsourcing and more of the globalization that we've seen in the past. But the other thing it's sort of triggered in my mind is when you think about uh, digital transformation in general and just technologies and building competencies uh, for your own organization, a lot of times companies assume that the best answer is to go get a commercial off the shelf software to help them manage. Uh, but we're seeing more organizations recently in the last few months. We, in fact, I just talked to one, to a client yesterday in based out of France or so their French company that's acquiring a U.S. company. And uh, part of the reason they bought this U.S. company is because they have a proprietary technology to automate their supply chain and their business in a way that their competitors can't. So in their minds, they're thinking, we want a custom solution. We want to make it better but we don't want to go buy SAP or Oracle or Microsoft because that's just a watered down version. So it does make me wonder if more companies will look inward to like build these competencies in-house, whether it's through vertical supply chain integration or building their own homegrown systems, even though that's got a negative connotation over the years, it, it could be the right answer for some organizations. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of funny how we just talked about, um, you know, outsourcing um, for ransomware. And now we're talking about, you know, kind of internalizing this type of, of software process or, you know, intellectual property that's customization and, and um, uh, proprietary to your business. So right. always moving, always evolving, always transforming, if you will. Yeah. Um, but that brings me, I mean, it's a great segue to kind of our, our last piece of um, news here, industry news, is the cloud wars. Um, so if you're a Star Wars fan, I, I like the idea of the Cloud Wars. I'm a big Star Wars fan. Um, but SAP and Oracle have kind of um, have been competing, if you will, for more of the bigger cloud um, operations. Um, so SAP, S4HANA, the cloud ERP business jumped 40% um, in Q2. And then Oracle's competing product actually grew even at a faster rate at close to 50% um, in the end of Q2 this year. So it's, um, it's an interesting kind of conversation as we've, we've talked a lot about cloud ERP. So I, I wondered if you might give us just kind of a quick overview of, of why you feel like bigger companies might be sliding more towards the Oracle cloud systems, the fusion systems, um, as opposed to the SAP options. Yeah, it's I. It's a good question. I, I um, that's sort of an ongoing battle that feels like it'll never get fully resolved. Is the whole SAP versus Oracle battle? They're they're sort of mortal enemies, and they're they're the premier you know big players in the space that that appeal to big companies. So people are always watching you know what's happening to their their metrics. Um, I think you know probably this is a speculation again. I don't know. You know, I'm not a, a uh, strategic advisor to SAP or Oracle by any means, but it seems like uh, Oracle had more of a head start with their cloud um, solutions. You know, they had Fusion, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. In fact, it's been around for so long that people started making fun of, in our industry, they started joking about Fusion and would it ever see the light of day? And, oh yeah, this is just, you know, Oracle spending a bunch of money on a product that's never going to see the light of day. 
but now it's sort of like, you know, who's laughing now because they, they, they've been working on fusion for so long, which is the cloud-based platform. And now they, they have a, I'd say they have a slightly more mature version of a cloud offering or a complete ERP cloud offering when you compare them to SAP S4 HANA. And you sort of see that not only in the metrics you mentioned, but also in the fact that SAP had to go out and buy a lot of cloud providers like Ariba and success factors and uh, concur and whatnot. So I think that's partially a reflection of the fact that SAP had to catch up or they had to go acquire the competencies and the, the cloud capabilities that they didn't have. Whereas Oracle, it seems like it's sort of been building that for longer. So I think that's probably it. I don't, you know, I don't know that we necessarily need to get in the argument of which is better, or, you know, SAP versus Oracle, you know, yeah. I can make, the, I can make either, sure. either argument depending on, you know, who a client is, but that'd be my sort of knee-jerk reaction to that. Yeah. And do you feel like the um, the cloud functionalities and options of NetSuite specifically gives Oracle kind of a, a at least a, a mid-sized to small business offering yeah. um, as opposed to SAP that doesn't really have that? Yeah, great point. I'm glad you brought that up. That's an important uh, thing to nuance to point out that, you know, since Oracle acquired NetSuite, that's a whole nother revenue stream. And obviously NetSuite is a very mature cloud product because it's, always been in the cloud and it's, you know, they're 20 years ahead of the competition essentially because they've started back in the late nineties in the cloud before everyone, anyone was really thinking about it. So yeah, that is, that is a, an important point that Oracle bought NetSuite. So they, so NetSuite appealing to that small and mid market, you know, that's another, you know, that's fueling some of the growth that Oracle is seeing. I also think that since Oracle acquired NetSuite, and this is a double-edged sword, sort of good news, bad news is, is ever since Oracle acquired NetSuite, it seems like NetSuite's gotten a lot more aggressive about, or Oracle has been a lot more aggressive about pushing NetSuite into different markets and different nooks and crannies of the industry that maybe it doesn't necessarily belong or it doesn't fit well. They've done a good job selling it, but I we're starting to see some signs in the industry that there's been more troubled NetSuite implementations in recent months and years. And I think it's because because Oracle is being so aggressive about pushing NetSuite even further into the small and mid market. So it's showing up in their numbers as a positive, but I, I do wonder if there's an underlying uh, dark side to that, that growth that they're seeing through NetSuite. Yeah, definitely. And we always talk about it's really the business processes and strategies that lead what you need as far as the software. So like you said, you know, we, we could say, growth versus numbers, um, those types of things, and do kind of all kinds of forecasting and assumptions um, around that. But it really does matter what you're looking for as a business um, and not being pushed into a software, um, whether it's aggressively by a vendor, such as Oracle kind of leading NetSuite into clients that might not make sense for it, which leads to a failed impl implementation. So, you know, lots to consider there. Um, but I think that's a good, you know, good segue into talking to Cam um, because he does a lot of uh, all of this work kind of for our clients. So, uh, you know, such an interesting interview. Um, and I'm excited to debrief with you because I, I kind of want to turn the tables and hear a little bit about, you know, your thoughts on on the consulting career path. So definitely excited to hear from him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we'll uh, that's a good segue into it. So we'll we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have Cameron Comp. Cameron Carpenter, who is a senior consultant at Third Stage, and we're going to talk about uh, the pros and cons of being a consultant, what it's like adjusting to consulting life, and what it takes to be a good consultant, all that good stuff. We're going to talk about um, when we have him on the show here in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Mm -hmm. 
If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham, and I'm excited to have our next guest on the show. Before I bring him on, though, uh, just be sure to check us out every Wednesday with new episodes on YouTube. You can also listen to us on audio-only podcast platforms, and also check us out on social media, too. If you follow Third Stage on any of the major social media platforms, you'll get updates daily on uh, thought leadership and reports and videos and articles that we put out on a daily basis, so be sure to subscribe and follow us on um different social media platforms. So uh, I'm excited to have Cameron Carpenter on the show. Cameron is a senior consultant at Third Stage. Uh, he's someone who's uh, I've known for a long time, actually even prior to him joining Third Stage, and I'm going to ask him some questions about that. Uh, but I want to talk to him today about just the life of a consultant, what it takes to be a consultant, what the adjustment and transition has been like for him as he's entered the world of consulting over the last couple of years. And uh, he's an interesting, interesting guy with an interesting background. So it'll be, should be a good discussion. So uh, Cameron, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Eric. Uh, thanks, everybody. And I'm happy to be on the show. So I guess I could give a little background if you want on who I am, I guess. Yeah, but, uh, yes, I'm, uh, Cameron Carpenter, I'm a consultant uh, for Third Stage. I have a uh, diverse background and experience, uh, and I've really honed in on the consulting side and in uh, the digital transformation projects that we we run a lot of selections, change management, implementation readiness um, in a diverse span of industries from non-for-profits, uh, HCM, all the way through to different types of manufacturing clients, large manufacturers, of steel, glass, uh, med devices, complexities in the A&D side with compliance uh, and regulatory requirements. So. Uh, I've just gotten all kinds of different projects over the last two and a half, three years uh, working with Third Stage. And and uh, a little more about me, I bring a diverse background experience with my uh, uh, military background. I've been in over 11 years now, in the Air National Guard, working more on the maintenance repair overhaul side. So uh, thanks for having me and, and uh, very excited to be a part of the interview today. Yeah, great for, or thanks for, for being here today. It's great to have you here. Um, and now I guess to start, what you, you started to talk a little bit about your background, um, but I want to dive into that a little bit in terms of just understanding how how you got into consulting. What is it that um, that drew you to it? How did you get involved? Maybe how did you get started? So I would say I uh, got a I got my degree in uh, management, the focus in entrepreneurship, and I just I just had a big interest in in entrepreneurialism and and really how businesses operate and run. I'm just, it's just amazes me um, what people can do and accomplish. And, and I'm always intrigued at how the, how they, uh, they got to where they are. And so I started looking for a career and 
I think what I did was I started to talk to industry leaders such as yourself, uh, individuals like yourself, Eric, and and started to ask questions about the different career options. And and uh, I was lucky enough to to be introduced into the world of consulting and and uh, and uh, and lucky enough to get a, a career here at Third Stage where I could jump in and, and uh, start this career path. So it's, it was a quick it was a quick uh, jump right into the industry, and it was uh, a lot to take on, but but happy I got here. So. Yeah. 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 Me too. And, and, uh, you and I had, uh, kind of a loose, a loose family connection, not a loose family connection, yeah. but friends of family sort of a connection. Yeah. And, uh, that's when you and I first met while you were still, I can't remember if you were in college or maybe you just finished college. Um, it was yeah. the first time we had met. And then, uh, yeah, I don't think I'd finished college yet. Um, uh, I think it was actually a few years after when I reached, I kind of just was talking with you, uh, kind of reaching out, um, uh, I just started traveling the country after I graduated with my wife and we went, we went all over from the East to West coast. She's a travel nurse and I worked multiple different industries, mainly in the service industry and others, um, contracting work, uh, as far as residential construction, masonry, that kind of thing. So, uh, a pretty manual background before I got to where I am and, uh, happy for the networking and, and the, uh, uh, the family history there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of that that non-consulting background, that direct industry experience, you know, that gives you a different perspective than a lot of people, you know, that haven't mm -hmm. actually been you know, sort of in the, in the trenches doing some of the work that you've done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's different, right? I, uh, you know, it's, you have these, you feel that you have these, um, I don't know what you would call them, tributes to yourself or things that you know that you can do certain things, but you got to find somebody who's, who can see that aspect of you and be willing to take the chance on you. And it's very hard for young individuals coming into the consulting world, I would think, um, because they're just looking for people with certain amount of experience that just isn't always out there. And so I was just very thankful that um, that I was able to have a conversation and, and that you were op open to, you know, taking on somebody and challenging them that wasn't specifically in the consulting industry to begin with. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go off script from the start. I know we've got some a list of questions we were going to start with here and I already have a question that isn't on the script, but, but that, that sort of triggered it a little bit in that, you know, when you, when you go from, uh, you know, just starting out in your career, kind of going from, from being a recent college grad into consulting, what was that, what was that adjustment like? I mean, how would you describe it? Uh, that's a little question. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you have to say to this. I mean, Everybody throws the term around, right? Drinking from the fire hose. And I don't, and even now I'm still drinking from the fire hose and it's been two and a half, three years later. So that transition was just, um, physically it was difficult because I was working at a computer more frequently and in, in desk type work, but the travel was nice and getting to go on site and see clients. Um, uh, so that part was challenging for me, but I think the workload, um, there's just so much information and in, in, things that come right at you and you just, you have to pick apart it all and, and, and put, put, put together the dots really quickly to turn it around and, and provide reasonable information back to the clients. Right. And so, uh, it took, I adapted quickly, but it took, it took a minute, um, to, to understand how I was going to take everything I was learning and, and use that. Right. So that, that was the challenge I would think. But yeah, if it's any consolation, um, you know, I've been doing this 25 years and I still feel like I'm 
drinking from the fire hose any, anytime we have a new client. I, I, in fact, I just flew back. We were talking before we came on the air here just a few minutes ago, and I was telling you how I, I just flew back from a client earlier today uh, in on the eastern United States, and uh, it was just a massive amount of information. It was almost information overload, right? I felt like, and um, part of it's because doing it in person, you know, is a little bit different than the Zoom stuff that we've grown accustomed to in the last year and a half during the pandemic. But it's also because in consulting, it seems like you just never, you know, you never have all the answers, or at least you shouldn't have all the answers. And every business is so different. You know, every time you have a new client, it's a different um, business model, different strategy, different people, different culture, different operations. I mean, everything's so different that you've got to learn it all. It's like starting over every time you have a new client or a new product. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, good news, bad news, I guess. <laughs> It's it's good and bad. You have to. That's part of the being a consultant, though, right? That adapting quickly, yeah. and and I think we'll get to that a little bit more. But um, yeah, it's it's just that's the challenge: learning that and overcoming that, and how you can can turn that around into something useful for clients. So yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. So so based on what you're doing so far, you, first of all, when did you, how long have you been at third stage now? It's been about two years or it's been more than that, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been more because it was February-ish 2019. So I'll be, okay. I'll be at three in February total. I'm not, not okay. keeping yeah, you're, a, you're an old pro, you know, two and a half years in, you know, you're becoming a pro, you're, you seem like a pro. Yeah. Um, well, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe so, on, on selection <laughs> projects. Right. Yeah. There's a lot to learn on the implementation side, change management. There's yeah. always more, more you can learn along those lines. Um, but when you think about the last two and a half years and in the, the types of work you've done and, and the client engagements you've been involved with, what, what do you like most about it? I mean, what are the things that, that appeal to you? Well, first off, it was learning about a business from end to end. That's, it's just really cool to, to see all the different industries and, and, the different operations, some that are similar, but so much different, right? And how are they doing what they do and how do they make money? You know, it's just amazing to see see that. Um, manufacturing is the coolest side to see for me. Uh, but I think the other one too, it, some of the cooler things I've seen are hearing about those client stories for where, you know, it's a third, fourth generation CEO, owner of the company, and they started sweeping floors and then working their way up through the industry all the way up into running the business. And it's just, um, you get to hear a lot of cool stories like that. And I think that um, that's one big thing that I, I really enjoy about these projects and the work that we do is, is the diversity of clients that we have and what they do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what would you say, you may have alluded to this a little bit in, in, uh, in when you're talking about the adjustment or the transition from, recent college grad into consulting, but what, what did you find to be the biggest challenges then? So, you, you know, you talk about what you, what you like best about learning all this new stuff, but what are, what are the biggest challenges been or, or the things you like least about it? Hmm. Challenges are like least about it. Um, well, I'm supposed to say that my favorite part's writing requirements, right? Uh, <laughs> documents. That's the best part of it. Um, no, I'd say, um, What's challenging, I think, is is um, and you have to have the skill set to do it, but it's being able to adjust quickly and adapting to the client and their needs. Right? You you get into you, nothing is fully routine. I, <laughs> you might have an approach to selection or or change management and uh, implementation readiness 
there's generally guidelines, um, but everybody is so different that um, you have to be able to adjust and adapt to their needs. Um, whether that's providing little or less information and being concise or giving them more detail and information they need to help make good decisions. So it's the, the clients are the challenge, but that's what we do this work for, for that challenge. So yeah. I, I don't know, dislike, yeah. hard to say dislikes. I, I mean, if you get one or two clients that uh, um, are constantly questioning you, I think that's a positive, um, but that can come in line with having, you know, different sets of opinions and, and um, alignment as far as the individuals themselves and how they work well together. And it might just be a matter of the team structure and needing to adjust. Um, that can could be challenging, but it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good reminder that I think some of sometimes consultants forget that, you know, our job as consultants is to go into difficult situations. And so by nature or by definition, you're going to deal with some personality tensions and yep. pressure and stress and things that you get blamed for. You know, you, you're yes. going in to help fix the problem that client couldn't solve themselves. So you're inherently, it's going to be more, it's not going to be an easy walk in the park, especially with the type of work we do with, you know, digital transformation, business transformation, change yeah. in general, that's harder for any organization. So we end up being the, what do you call the recipients of the yeah. stress and pressure. And so a lot of times I always tell new consultants, especially even some veteran ones that, that forget this really important point that, you know, half of our job is to be sort of like a therapist and listen and just understand yeah. that yep. you know, Cameron's stressed out, went through change. Cameron's got, he, yep. you know, he's got a bullseye on him. If the project fails. He's going to lose his job. And, you know, he's got family yeah. pressures as well and other stuff going on. So, you know, it's, it's just relating and empathizing with what the client's going through. It's easy yeah. to take it personally and forget that's why we're there. Yes. Don't, don't take things personally. You got to take yourself, you got to step yourself back and put yourself in their shoes. We just had a client and, and um, I had a recent client and, and they had a failed implementation really didn't meet their needs. They, they didn't uh, assess and, and look, you know, properly assess the vendors in the marketplace. Um, and there were a lot of major gaps and uh, that's a lot of time and effort and energy spent that, you know, now, now working with us to come in and vet this solution, right. Or, when we worked with them is um, quest, kind of questioning the steps and, and uh, what we're doing, why we're doing certain things, um, which is understandable though, because they want to make sure that they're making the right decision for their company. So. Yeah. So. And it's, you know, and when you're doing a software selection, it's a big decision when you're helping manage the implementation, it's a, it's a big implementation, it's a big change. So there's a lot of, just that inherently there's just, there's going to be a lot of stress in those situations and a lot of people aren't ready for that, you know, in the, in the world of consulting. Okay. Good stuff. Thanks, Cameron. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to ask you some more questions. We'll be right back with more on transformation ground control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or 
download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. I'm here with Cameron Carpenter talking about the life of a consultant. So we're going to jump right back into the interview here. So, so of the work you do at Third Stage, I know you were talking about how um, a, a lot of the work you've done on clients over the last two and a half years has been focused on software evaluation selections or that digital strategy and roadmap piece of it. Um, but you're also, you know, I know you've dabbled in other areas and you've, you've continued to expand your, your skill set based on what you've done so far, what type of work do you like best so far and in, in why? What do you like best about it? Uh, um, I actually, I do actually like, like specifically to the tasks that I'm typically doing, I really enjoy the workshops, digging into the process um, and what the clients are doing and how they're doing it and, and getting to see the operations uh, actually physically seeing it going through usually plant tours and and seeing how how the job is done i think being able to get that perspective along with running through these workshops from all these different stakeholders in the business helps to give you that true picture that you need um, because without that i don't think that you can do multiple steps in the process or project and help guide and advise them uh, from either selections change management um, uh, implementation readiness or even from an implementation perspective not knowing or understanding the complexities of the company and, and uh, their needs as far as that we're going you know moving forward in in a very large project that's usually costly and time consuming so yeah yeah that's that's a really good point that you know in consulting a lot of times you know you'll have different areas of focus and you know our our, tem our team tends to be a little bit more broad and cross-functional mm -hmm. in terms of not just being experts in one area, but really trying to understand the, the, the entire big picture of, of a digital transformation. But a lot of consultants will focus on one, you know, one uh, work stream or one part of a transformation, like technology, for example, you know, there's system architects or data migration experts or hands-on technical configuration mm -hmm. experts, whatever the case may be, or even change management experts. You think about all these things that may seem like they don't have a lot to do with the operational side or really understanding the business needs because you're focused on the technology the change management or whatever it is. But um, I think you have a really good point, which is you have to understand no matter what you do and where you're focused, you do have to understand how the business works or you should understand mm -hmm. how the business works and how you're going to help improve it. Uh, and I think yeah. that's another thing that consultants side of they, they focus too much on what the tech, the technology can or can't do. And they, they don't pay enough attention to what the client is doing and there's some good reasons why they do the stuff they do even if it's broken or inefficient and, right. uh, that's an important point and, and as an advisor i think it's a, a cool part of the work that we do too is is helping to present the information for the individuals we're working with um, to make big decisions on right so we're here i i'm usually here to make someone else look really good and to help them um, give them the information and the details they need to make the best decisions that they can for their, their organization. So I think that's very enjoyable. It's very fun to work with all the different leaders in the, in the industry. And I think that's, that's a big part of the work that we do. The work is, is I've gotten to work with top leaders, executives, um, CEOs, C-level suite, and um, have gotten a completely different perspective that I probably wouldn't have gotten going elsewhere, working, starting off, you know, 
in a different uh, career field. Yeah. Yeah. I started off in consulting as well. And I, I remember feeling like there was sort of an immediate credibility you have just because you're a consultant. It doesn't matter what you do or don't know or how smart you are or aren't. It's just like you're a consultant. So you have this immediate perceived credibility, which, which can help, but it can also, uh, it can also, it, it could also be tricky, especially early in your career. And maybe I'll come back <laughs> to that. Yeah, we will come back to that. I was going to say it's key. Key is being resourceful. Yeah, well, let's let's dive into that now. Actually, while we're on it, uh, because I might forget honestly, and we might go a different direction. But that that's an interesting point that I wasn't planning on asking about. But you know how how do you you know starting off, um, you know, especially where you're at right now, or even a year or two ago when you were first starting out. Um, I, I, I can't help but compare you now to where I was. You know, obviously when I started out around the same age in consulting, I remember people looking at me and sort of looking at me funny and saying, you, you're really young. Like you're younger than my, you're younger than my kids. And, you know, I've been working at this company for longer than you've been alive. How are you going to help me? How, how can you, you know, Mr. 25, 26 year old, how are you possibly going to help me uh, run my business better or improve? So, <laughs> so t- has that happened to you? And what do you, how have you navigated that, yeah. that, uh, um, that issue, especially you, cause you look, you look younger than you are, you, even though you are young, you look even younger than you actually are. So well, I, I imagine that might be a, a First off, grow grow some scruff, and it'll make you look a little bit older. Um, that helps. Uh, yeah, that's what I did. Especially <laughs> when you've got gray in the scruff, yeah. that helps. <laughs> I'm working on those now. I have a daughter, so. Um, the, uh, <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I I have ran in. It hasn't been directly hit towards me because we structure our project team so well that we have knowledge in, in industry experience from multiples is that um, – I don't act like I know something that I don't know, and I get the information I need from the individuals I need to. I'll lean on that that experienced uh, team member. Um, I obviously in situations where I have to answer certain questions, and I think just from my experience in over the last two and a half years has helped me to be able to guide and answer certain questions for clients. Right, um, uh, but I think I'm trying to think if there was ever. I think it was maybe the first. <laughs> I, like I said, project structure is key in having the right team members with you. It was first one of my first projects I was on, and someone started to ask me about Dynamics 365 versus another software product, and I had not known much about either product line or releases um, for those product lines, right? And and thankfully, I had two other senior individuals right behind me heard the question, and they just turned and jumped right on in. So um, I think that's key is finding finding it finding a good team that's always going to be there to support you. Um, you're not going to always be shielded and you need to be able to, um, I, don't lie about something. You know, if you don't know, you don't know, but I can get the answer for you. So yeah, not a good yeah. example. I'm trying to think of some and, and, uh, I don't, I honestly don't feel like I've been painted into a corner ever for, for age or anything other than, um, maybe them calling out my age. Right. So, or, or, or someone on our team, on our own team, giving you a hard time about your age that, that, that happens sometimes too. I've seen, yeah, I've been, I've well, been uh, guilty of that as I ha- already have been in this interview at least yeah. once. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, there's yeah. internal challenges um, to, that comes with age, I think, um, hmm. with any team structure that this might be a different conversation, but um, don't know if we want to dive yeah. into it or not. <laughs> 
Well, you have a good point though about the the team, you know, relying on a team, especially at that that point in your career, you know, making sure you're not letting yourself get in too far over your head or pretending yep. to know something you don't. Right. Um, and it's still, you know, even like I said, 25 years later, it still happens to me too, where someone will say, you know, what are your thoughts on the newest release of whatever <laughs> software? And, you know, sometimes I, I didn't even know there was a new release and, you know, they're asking me what my thoughts are of certain functionality within the system. And, you know, no one of us is going to know everything about everything out there as much as I'd love to think someday we might, or all of us might, but it's just not going to happen. Stuff's changing too, too quickly for any one person to know it all. Absolutely. So that, that team approach is always important for sure. Yes. Um, so what, what are, um, do you have one or two examples of, of client projects that you've worked on in the last couple of years that you've enjoyed the most? Like ones that just stand out as you liked it best because of either the type of work you were doing, you like the people or you like the industry, the company or, or all of the above. It's all of the above, but, uh, um, I have a lot of great projects. Um, I think I can, two, there's two specific ones that like are just pop popping into my head right away. I mean, I obviously enjoy some of the, um, some of the individual ones I ran and, and select did selections for myself. And then my first project, I always look back to that one. It was a great, very large client. I'm very lucky to be on that project. Um, manufacturer, large manufacturer steel products, right. Uh, stateside and, and, um, that project team was awesome. And actually my other experience that I was going to bring up is with this, with the same project team, these project manager on it. But, uh, so there's a trend there, I think. Um, but, uh, what a cool industry. They had a lot of cool people there. They, uh, they were just diving deep into conversation. They were super complex. I, you know, I jumped into a very hard project and, and, um, I had, it was just everything come at you a mile a minute. I mean, it was, you know, multi-location, multi-site, um, and then all the divisional differences of if, if the different locations across the country, right? So now you got to take all this information, conceptually compile it into um, other detailed deliverables to help drive towards a successful uh, project and, and not knowing what you're doing. So I think that client in particular was just such a great client that my experience was great, even though I, I had the challenges of learning everything, right? So very fortunate there. Plus I had a team project manager uh, that really helped and guided me through a lot of it um, and uh, took the time to help me. So that was just, it was the experience and the client. And, and um, uh, the second client that comes to mind and is pretty recent um, is just uh, awesome engineering to order company. And I think you're seeing a trend in manufacturing is more my favorite, uh, more of my niche area I like to work in, but um, they were just, you know, we culturally meshed well together. Um, we got along, we got to know the client very well. And I think we built a lot of trust um, and communicated well from the front end all the way through the project that it just, just everything worked out the way it was supposed to. Um, we, we worked through the deliverables, we worked through um, vetting out another software solution and, and uh, we provided a lot of value to them and they resonated that back to us. And I think when you get that validation from clients and how grateful they are for what you were able to do and work with them on, it just sets them apart from the rest, um, really does. So, but. Yeah, 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 those are two cool examples and I know um, you know, you've been involved with, with some international, uh, clients as well. And, yep. uh, we actually have, speaking of international, we have, uh, just some responses from people where they're listening in from today. We've got people in, uh, someone in Prague, 
Netherlands, Cleveland, Ohio, UK. Um, so a lot of different um, people throughout the world that are that are listening live here to the through the discussion. And actually, uh, we have our first um, question from the audience over on LinkedIn. Actually, is where the first question comes from. And that question is from uh, Rashid, who's an Odoo developer um, on LinkedIn. And he asks, um, hello, folks, as consultants and managers, did you learn people's skills along the way? And Dale, Dale, Carnegie, Dale Carnegie wrote a wonderful book about it. But I guess just to hone in on the question, did you learn people's skills along the way? And sure. maybe talk about what were, what are some of those people skills that are okay. important as a consultant? Uh, to be honest, I think that... Uh... And Eric, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think part of the skill set that that stood out for me was that I was able to work to communicate and talk well with people and just to build relationships. And I think that's just one big skill set that a consultant can have. It's not the all, end all be all um, being optimistic, being outgoing. Uh, I think it's very helpful, especially when you can take information from different key players, from IT to end users to the executive level and communicate it at different levels. Um, those are traits and kind of things that you, you can build on when you get into the field, lean on those industry leaders to help guide you to, to hone in on your skills and get better. But I think some people just naturally have those people skills. And if you have those people, utilize them, right? Um, there's certain things that I'm not going to do just because that's not what I do. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go code software because that's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Um, but I think that there is there is a level where you can start to hone in on some of those skills and, and get better at it. Okay, good stuff. Thanks, Cameron. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to ask you some more questions. We'll be right back with more on Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. I'm here with Cameron Carpenter talking about the life of a consultant. So we're going to jump right back into the interview here. How would how would you describe this the the people skills that you think are most important? Just more in terms of like uh, maybe not so much just not so much from a change management perspective as a as a discipline, but just more as a just a basic skills a basic people skill as a consultant. Yeah. What what do you th what do you think is important on that front? I think it's listening. If you can listen and understand yeah. truly where someone's coming from, and then either reiterate that back to them in a different way or somewhere where you get confirmation from them, I think is a big skill to have. You need to, you need to understand and assess the situations that you're putting, you're in, especially with the different key players that you'll be working with on very complex projects because you're, you're, you're balancing information from end users to C level and the decisions from the top might not resonate with them, those from the bottom. And so 
you have to understand who you're speaking to um, and uh, know when, when, when to say certain things. And I don't know if there's a, right. if there's a good way um, to build that skill other than be thrown into it, being around people, individuals that are really good at it, letting them do the talking first and kind of understanding how they would handle certain situations. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's well, well stated. And I think the listening, if I had to pick one thing that's most important to being a good consultant, I'd say it's, it's listening. Um, in fact, I'll, you know, I'll take, I'll take a, someone who's not as smart, but listens really well as someone who's really smart, but doesn't listen or thinks they have all the answers. And, you know, on paper, you may think the latter is going to be the better consultant because they have more answers or they're smarter or whatever, but I, I don't, I think it's overrated and not to say you can't be completely clueless. I mean, you have to know, you have to sort of know what you're doing and you have to be yeah. certainly leaps and bounds ahead of where your clients are, but you don't need to be the smartest, uh, especially if you have those people skills and those yeah. soft skills or what I sometimes refer to as finesse. You know, there's a certain finesse and an art to being a good consultant and it's super hard to teach, but it's easy to spot. And that's actually something I saw in you before we ever you know, talked about you being a consultant. I just noticed your interpersonal skills were so strong. I felt like you would be a really good consultant if if you wanted to be, and uh, uh, thankfully you you wanted to be. So that's good yeah. that you were able to make that jump and uh, translate those skills into, into consulting. Yes, and I appreciate uh, it because if it wasn't for that observation, I probably wouldn't be here today. Yeah, but it you know it's interesting because I but I did you know people would ask like, well, what did you you know college kid. I mean, how do you know someone that's in college that has never done consulting? How do you know they're going to be a good, good consultant? You never really know for sure, but it's those, uh, like you said, it's the listening, the empathy, understanding, and you pick that up in a personal conversation. You pick, you can pick that up just as easily talking to someone about family stuff, you know, as, as easily as you could talking about business or operations or whatever. Um, so usually it's, it's pretty transferable. So, um, so for those of you that are trying to build a good consulting team, or you're trying to figure out how to be a, a good consultant. I don't know if you can necessarily learn those, those soft skills or the people skills or the finesse, but I think it's something you can develop and, and it's a muscle you can build uh, over time to really try to listen more and, and talk less. I think that's probably the biggest <laughs> advice I would give to, yeah. to a lot of consultants, especially as you get later in your career. You know, I think you, you have a tendency, myself included, you tend to want to talk more, listen less and you, you want to keep that flipped and, and listen a lot more than you're talking, no matter how much, you know, even if you think you have the answer, even if you're right and you have all the answers, uh, it's better to sit back and listen. Um, so if you're in a situation where, um, you have, uh, s someone who's maybe interested in, in moving into consulting, either they're, you know, early in their careers, just out of college, or maybe they're mid career and they've been doing something else. They've been, uh, you know, working internally at a, at an organization and they they're thinking about making a leap to consulting. What, um, what advice would you give them? Like, you know, how, how, you know, how, how would you suggest someone get started or how would they explore the world of consulting or prepare to be a good consultant? Okay. Um, I think if you're considering taking a leap into this world, um, you need to start talking to people in this world. Uh, you need to ask them the pros and cons to consulting, what the work-life balance is, um, uh, make sure you're looking at a firm that's doing projects somewhere to what you want to be doing, you know, that they resonate with your core values as an individual as well. Um, Cause there's so many different roles in consulting uh, from, you know, an independent agnostic consulting firm, such as uh, third stage to, you know, working for a vendor or partner of a vendor in consulting on software 
and the latter. I mean, I, the list goes on and on. So do your due diligence. And, and honestly, I think networking is key, talking to people in the industry and where, you, where you're interested. And then making an educated decision based on that, right? Finding the right job because you're already in a career field and you're already and maybe you're experienced and you're now want to take that experience and use it elsewhere, which would be great because individuals like me get to take your 20 plus years experience and learn from it very quickly. Uh, such like reading a book. Um, uh, right. But for younger ones, just jump, dive in and uh, don't look back. Uh, when you, Once you make that leap and you get in, keep making the leap, even internally. Make sure you're always trying to jump on something new, learn something new, asking lots of questions. I think I ask a thousand questions a day to, to one person alone, let alone uh, everybody else on our team. So um, don't ever stop uh, wanting more. Always keep leaping. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you, you kind of alluded to this, you, you didn't use these words, but it, it triggered a thought, you know, as it relates to, to your personality, as well as what I think our team exhibits and what I think good consultants exhibit, which is that, that humble nature, you know, to be able to, to know, to, first of all, to be self-aware enough to know that I don't have all the answers. And um, even if I think I have the answer, I might want to validate it. I might want to bounce it off someone else. I might want to brainstorm with others just to get you know, make sure either I'm thinking about this right, or maybe someone can help me make it an even better thought or analysis of, of whatever I'm thinking. Um, so that humble nature, the inquisitive question asking that you allude to, I think those are both really good, good points that um, are sort of that finesse piece that I was talking about. It's hard to teach that, but yeah. you can focus on it. You, know, you can think, be mindful of that, you know, as, as you're thinking about consulting or just being a good, uh, good consultant. Well, you just made me think of something too, that's key. If you're going to leap into the consulting world, find a company that has the right company culture. Um, and I'm thankful, Eric, for the company that the way you set our structure and culture is, is just it's amazing the type of individuals we get to work with and the flexibility and, and their willingness to help you learn and grow when you're in this consulting role. So uh, it, the right consulting company with the right culture can make or break your experience. Yeah, yeah, it's a. It's a great point. And, and, uh, you know, that comes from, uh, I appreciate you saying that that come, you know, my focus on that comes from having messed it up before, you know, my last company. So I, I try not to, I, I don't hide that fact that I did not focus on culture in, in the first consulting company I started and it created a very toxic cancerous negative culture and people didn't want to be there. People didn't like it, myself included. It got to the point where I just didn't want to be there. And it, mm -hmm. it was so hard to change. And especially with, uh, different ownership and whatnot, uh, over time, but, you know, you get it right from the start and you, you know, you get a good culture. You find that firm that has that good culture. You're just going to be more excited about doing the work. And, you know, you think about that being in the trenches with consultants, uh, you know, traveling, you're going to unusual places that you're not familiar with. You're dealing with different personalities. We talked before about how you're absorbing the stress of your clients and it's just, it's a pretty stressful job. I mean, it's not, I think people think it's more glamorous than it, than it is. Um, you know, it is, it is a, it's hard work. I mean, it's a pretty gritty job, I, I think, especially for, for a white collar job, it's pretty gritty. And, um, you know, so I think you have to have, you want to be around people you like when you're in the trenches, you know, I know you've got a military background too, and I, I suspect there's something there. I'm, I'm, I don't have a military background, but so correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think that's something that might translate or that you might relate to in the military. If you're, yep. you know, it, not that you've been at war, but you know, if you think yep. about potentially getting, um, deployed or going to war, you want to be with people you like and that you trust and have your back, right? Yes. 
Yeah, that actually, that's a really good way to look at it. I, we have, we have a good team of people that I know that if I need something or if I need help, they're there, they can fill my role in my spot and take over, not, you know, without missing a beat. And so we have that flexibility and that capability because we work well as a team. Plus, you know, culture is good and the normal hazing is always going to be there. So, you know, got to have a little fun with right. it. Too. Oh. Right. Well, you were our first, uh, call it, you weren't inexperienced, but you were our first more junior hire, you know, yep. as a company. So I think you probably got the brunt of the, <laughs> of, the of the hazing because of that. And uh, yeah, hopefully it's, you know, it's all in, in good fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm the hugger. We won't go into details there. <laughs> right. So I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what about um, when you think about the fact that, you know, consulting is not for everyone, you know, we've talked about some of the good stuff and, you know, some of the stuff that could be difficult or challenging or maybe things that we don't always like about consulting, but what, what are some signs or characteristics or personality traits that you would say would indicate that maybe you're not a good fit for consulting? Because I think that's just as important as, knowing you're a good fit. You also want to know when you're not a good fit for something right. and, and uh, you kind of want to rule that out or, or at least know that maybe you want to dig deeper to understand it before you commit to going in that direction. What, what are some of those personality traits that you'd say that, you know, that may create some additional stress or dislike of, of this uh, profession? <laughs> well, first off, just generally, if you like a normal nine to five off on the weekends, your two week vacation, like this isn't the career for you. Um, <laughs> and I don't mean it in a harsh way, right? But it's, it, it, there is flexibility, I think, in this. And we do have a good work-life balance with um, the structure that we've set up with third stage. But, but when you're working projects and with clients, they're hiring you as the experts to come in and you only have a certain period of time to get something done. You're, you're, you got to get it done. If it's working Saturday, Sunday, a couple hundred hour weeks, 50, 60, to up to a hundred hour weeks, just to, to knock out some project tasks to make sure we're meeting the deadlines. So that's just what has to happen. Um, at the end of the day, we're here to support our clients and, and you got to be there for them. They expect us to be there. Um, so, so just, it's not a normal work environment. I think so. If you want that, it's, you're not going to have that. Um, yeah. You know, I, cause I'm trying to think of like actual personality traits, but like, I think you need to really be able to work. I don't know what the, what I would call them, but um, characteristics are, opt you know, like you need to be optimistic. You need to be out. Um, you need to be. Um, yeah. I guess when you start to play the, um, uh, the role of therapist, uh, you need to be able to um, relate to people. And uh, I think that's a big one. Um, and be comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, be, uh, because, and that's why, you know, entrepreneurial uh, studies was fun for me is, you know, it's a lot of work and you're, you, um, you know, things are changing quickly. You have to adapt, adapt and adjust. And um, uh, in this world, nothing's the same. Uh, you, you might do a project, a similar project or task, but every client so different, complex. You're in, you know, with that water, that fire hose of information coming at you, you're always adapting and adjusting to what you need to do to, to make a successful project for a client. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're maybe to add to that, you know, if you, if you, 
um, or someone that likes a super predictable environment, not just the hours, like you were saying, nine to five, Monday through Friday, but, mm-hmm. but even just day to day, tell me what to do. Tell me what the answer is or tell me how to do it. But so much of what we do is, you know, as much as we, we have our methodologies, our tool sets, our frameworks, it's constantly evolving and improving. There's still every day you get new clients, different situations that you, you haven't seen before, but you know, we've seen so many other situations that we can apply and mold a certain yes. approach or framework to different situations. But you have to be comfort, comfortable with that ambiguity, knowing that there's a lot of gray in consulting. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's yeah. not, it's not black and white. Yep. No, I, I think that's really one the biggest one. I mean, you're just it's not a normal work environment. It can get stressful and it can be it can be a lot. You're you'll be tra- you can be traveling, working multiple clients. Um, and there's a lot of complexity to working multiple clients and traveling. I mean, there's you know, so at, there, there you go. Just balance. Um, you need to be motivated um, and you need to be able to go the extra mile um, and disciplined. I think discipline is a big one. Because a lot of times it's on your schedule to get what you need to get done. And uh, you're the one that has to make yourself wake up every day and do it. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, you know, one of the smaller, finer points of being a consultant is that, you you know, generally consultants are paid a lot of money. You know, maybe individ- as individuals are not necessarily, they're not making all the money that's getting billed. But, but the company, the client is paying a lot of money for your services. And, you know, they see that invoice every month and they see the line item that says Cameron Carpenter, X thousand dollars for X number of hours. And so, they, you know, it's, it's very clear how much you and other consultants, all of us are charging per hour. And so you have to there's just a higher level of expectations that go along with that. And so, you know, you talk about discipline. One thing that came to mind as you were saying that is just the little things of like, you know, not following up when you said you would or missing little details or being being a little sloppy or loose with your deliverables that stuff can work fine in a in a normal you know bigger organization especially but in consulting you, you know you've got to you know everything you do is sort of watch very closely not in a distrustful kind of way necessarily but just more of a prove your value kind of a way and prove that invoice i just got i need to see that value from you every day and every little thing you do so that you have to be comfortable with that and you have to be willing to deliver to that because that, that's right. where a lot of consultants fall down or fall flat. Yes. No, that's, yeah. Accept the challenge. Right. Okay. Good stuff. Thanks, Cameron. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to ask you some more questions. We'll be right back with more on Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. I'm here with Cameron Carpenter talking about 
the life of a consultant. So we're going to jump right back into the interview here. I'll, I'll ask you this question. You can pass on this if you want, and I'll try to take a stab at it, but I, I would be curious to hear what, to see what you think if you have a, if you have a thought on this. But question is from uh, Chalita. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Chalita or Chalita uh, on LinkedIn. And the question is, how did you cultivate that good company culture? What specifics did you see? And maybe I'll ask you that perspective if you have an answer from the perspective of what you saw or, or what you see in terms of how we've built the culture. I mean, what are your observations about the okay. culture and, and what in particular is is good about it? I, you started to talk a little bit about it, but maybe you could go deeper into what, what you like about it or what you think makes it a good culture. Well, I think essentially you're drawing the right people in because of the um, vision of our organization and what we do and our focus on our clients and, and that we're agnostic, we're here to help them. So I think that's a big start is how we represent ourselves as an organization and, and what we're doing for our clients. And we hold true to that. Um, everybody that comes on always is speaking about our, our agnostic approach to, to working for clients, right? And not having any ties in any industry uh, to any vendors. And I think that is a big key to the type of individuals that come here um, because they're here wanting to help clients. Um, with that being said too, I think that was a big part of the culture is essentially assessing those individuals and hiring on individuals that work well as a team, right? I think there's certain traits of individuals I'm seeing that are consistently being hired across the board. Um, and I don't know what the criteria is from that end. Uh, I can only say for what it would potentially look like based on who I'm working with and, and, um, uh, it does. So essentially i think it's our vision that drives the culture um and then uh our, our team mentality right yeah yeah and you you bring up an interesting thought or, or something that i i have in the back of my mind whenever i interview people and, and and part of what we've done with the culture here is that first of all we we have a team-based recruiting approach and so um I, I interview, I still interview every person we hire, no matter, you know, what level they're at. And that's not sustainable long-term, but it, it, it's enough to get us to 40 people where we're at now. I anticipate doing that for the near future as long as I can, because I think it's so important, not, not because I'm, I'm the sole arbitrator or the sole, you know, not, I, I'm the only person that knows whether or not they're a good fit, but I know what kind of company I want us to be. I have a very clear vision of that just because I messed, like I said, I messed it up at the last company. So I, I sort of did a 180 on that approach that I took at the old company. Um, but the, one of the litmus tests I always ask myself, and I, I do it literally every time I interview someone is as I'm talking, I'm listening, I'm listening for substance. I'm looking for those little things, the, the, the raw skills you look for in a consultant. But I also ask myself if I'm traveling with this person and I get stuck at an airport for, you know, four hours because of a weather delay, which has happened to all of us in consulting. And I'm, you know, at a bar or restaurant in the airport, just stranded with this person you know, is that going to be a good time for me? Am I going to enjoy that time? Or is it going to be a drag? Is it going to be like a, you know, tension, not tension, but you know, just something that's not going to be enjoyable for me. And it sounds somewhat judgmental and it is pretty judgmental, I'll admit, but it, but I think if I just like the person, that to me is really important. Like I just have to be like, that's a good person, you know, or that's someone I, I like, you know, I just genuinely like, I like their values. I like who they are. I like their, the way they were brought up or, you know, all those things you look, you know, that just make you drawn to someone. I, you know, I think that's really important. So sometimes it's just that simple. Like, do you like the person? Mm -hmm. And of course, yes, you need to be, have a certain minimum amount of knowledge and all the other stuff we talked about. But a lot of times it comes down to that one thing. If I answer no, I, we usually don't hire that person. In fact, every, every time I've gone against that and tried to hire them anyway, it usually doesn't go well. 
So not because of me, but just because it, it isn't a good cultural fit with, you know, with the rest of the, the rest of the culture. So, um, and I had three interviews when I came on. So just, yeah. Yeah. And you were kind of a gamble too, because, you know, you were, like I said, you were the first more junior entry level type consultant, um, the, the first one we had hired. So it was, it was somewhat of a gamble and we knew it was a big deal, you know, to bring on someone and we wanted you to come on and make sure it's a good fit for you too. We don't want to put you in a situation where you were going to fail you know, weren't going to succeed. So, um, so here's a, a, a semi funny question from uh, Sam Graham, who's a frequent uh, engagement uh, collaborator with us. He, he writes guest blogs for us and he's act, very active on social media with our posts and whatnot. But, but his question is, and hopefully we appreciate this, his humor here, but as a consultant from a military background, have you ever wished you could reach for an M16? <laughs> <laughs> M4, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah. We need a little comic relief here on a Friday. <laughs> we should uh, get together sometime, Sam, and have a different conversation. Yep. Yep. Sam's Sam's in Spain, so you'll have to go there. Or he'll have to yeah. come, come uh, to, to Illinois, where you're based. <laughs> I can go to Spain. That's fine. There's worse places to go for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, here's an interesting question. I, I wasn't asked. I wasn't planning on getting into this, but it's an interesting question uh, from Albert on LinkedIn. Um, and let me preface this by saying at third stage, we have both, uh, as we've grown, we started off with mostly contractors, you know, when we first started the company and then as we've grown, we've sort of done more of a hybrid where we have some W2 employees and we also have, uh, contractors as well. Um, but the question from Albert is, I think contractors are more in demand as companies no longer want to pay for benefits for long-term, uh, full-time employees. So I guess, you know, it's more of a comment statement, I guess. And I, I would sort of agree with that. Um, although I'd say we we're doing the opposite. I mean, we're sort of shifting our mix to be, uh, we're not quite 50, 50 yet, but our vision is to get to more of like a even balance between employees and contractors. Um, and even the contractors we hire, we, you know, we treat them the same as, as employees. And, and lately I can't even keep track of who's, you know, who's a contractor and who's not, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, in many cases who, who they are, but, or what role they are. But I guess the question is, you know, how, how has that worked? Um, you know, how, how have you seen that work in our company? You know, the mix of employees, contractors, um, you know, do you see pros and cons to, you know, from, from your perspective, maybe not so much from the company perspective, cause I, I value both. I see the benefits of both yeah. contractors and employees. What, what is your observation been along those lines? Honestly, for me, um, and, Yes, I'm contractor, but that doesn't change my viewpoint of working for third stage. I am third stage. I um, I'm a company man, even though I'm paid contract. Um, that's fine by me. I have other ways to get um, healthcare benefits and things like that. So I've set myself in a good place. I don't contract with other companies. Um, and honestly, I think with this with the individuals we have, a lot of well. Um, I, first off, I can't tell the difference between W2 or contractor at all. You know, I never know unless I just ask, um, minus the few that I know. Um, but uh, um, I believe most of them, if not all of them, are actually just contracting for third stage. Um, and I think they're they're very set on our vision and our, our goals. And, and um, we get a good set of projects that um, uh, resonate well with their with what they want to do. So um uh, you know, you could you could probably consider other organizations uh, um, 
treating contractors as numbers, but not here. We're, we're very well valued as a team and, and, our, and the things that we, our ideas and our thoughts to process and how we do things internally um, are heard and listened to from all, all individuals in the team. So I value that right. a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I, I don't know if that's true for other companies. Um, quite honestly, I, I know for a lot of companies, you know, people, a lot of the bigger companies will hire very specific contract roles, like for one project or whatever. Um, our contractors tend to be involved in multiple projects. And um, we have some clients where it's, you know, fully dedicated full-time role or whatever, longer term, but a lot of them are, are kind of a mix. So um, it's, you know, it's a good variety back to your point earlier about the constantly mm -hmm. learning and getting new, uh, new experiences and whatnot. Um, so I, one last question and then we'll, we'll wrap up. I didn't realize it's already, it's already been almost an hour. Time flies when you're talking about fun stuff, like, like yeah. consulting careers. Um, but another question for, from Albert on LinkedIn is, uh, my observation with the accelerated technology in the past six years is a very specific number, by the way, Albert, six years. Accelerated technology in the last six years is that if you don't move on via contracting, your skills become obsolete. So I find that interesting. Maybe you could talk a little bit about just your skills and how, how do you keep your skills fresh or what are some of the things you you know you, you found or what do you do? Um the 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 projects we're in are so dynamic and you're right, think technology is constantly shifting and changing. So to keep up with that is to be well read. So constantly reading, constantly learning. Um, I always lean on team members, whether new or um, experienced. Everybody, there's so many different projects happening at the same time that I think it's important to get the lessons learned from others. Talk about, you know, we, when we specifically look at selection projects, for instance, the different vendors that we're seeing in all the different industries. If you know individuals that have been focused in specific uh, clients that would help um, getting their information and knowledge from that. And then, um, you always have to you always have to be educating yourself, um, and I think that's just this comes with being a good consultant is that as you're assessing and helping uh, a company uh, through a project, if there's something you don't know, you need to go find out, and so right. putting in the extra time to do so. Yeah, gets back to what you were saying earlier about you know asking lots of questions and being resourceful mm -hmm. and working with the team and all that good stuff. I think the minute you stop doing that stuff, even if you feel like you don't have to anymore because you've you know, gained enough experience or you're smart enough or whatever, I think you're sort of doomed from a consulting yeah. perspective because you're, you're going to stop learning. You're just going to stop, you know, you're losing that curiosity. You're losing that humble nature. You're losing that uh, constant learning that you, you should be doing as a consultant because things are not just technology, by the way, it's business is changing business models, operations, change management, it's all changing. I mean, there's nothing about Everything. what we do that stays. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, well, thanks for being here today, Cameron. This is a super yeah. insightful conversation. Uh, I always love talking to you, uh, not just in the work setting, talking about clients and stuff like that, but just more generally about careers. I think this is really fascinating. So I appreciate you being here today. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thanks everybody for the questions and thanks for not throwing me too big a zingers. Uh, maybe next time. But uh, yeah, always happy to be a part of it. And uh, thanks. All right. Thanks a lot, Cameron. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate having you on the show. Uh, a lot of good stuff you brought up, a lot of good points and uh, things to think about for those that might be thinking about a career in consulting. Maybe they're already in consulting or maybe they're thinking about partnering with a consulting firm. These are all things that are really important to think about 
uh, in this world of uh, digital and business transformation. So we're going to unpack some of the themes and topics here when we come back from a quick break. We'll be back with more on Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. We just finished up an interview before the break with Cameron Carpenter from the third stage team talking about uh, just the uh, the career trajectory and overall development of, of consultants and what it takes to be a good consultant. What were, um, what were your thoughts or questions about that conversation, Kyler? Yeah, I love when we do these types of topics because I feel like the, it kind of lifts the veil on what it means to be a consultant, um, specifically in this, in this space and how much opportunity there really is, especially for young people like Cam, you know, to look at this career as, as something that they can utilize. Um, so I, I liked the part that he kind of talked about, um, you know, his roadmap and his overall networking. And that seems like that worked out well for him is just having the confidence to reach out to industry thought leaders like yourself um, or other, other um, you know, other people within the industry, other leaders. Um, and I, I wonder from your perspective, like I said, I kind of wanted to turn the tables a little bit. Um, when you are hiring a consultant, how do you train them? Like, how, how do you make sure? Because usually a lot of times consultants kind of act as their own entity. How do you kind of integrate them into the third stage mission and values and make sure that their skills are up to par? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it, just to back up, it actually starts with the uh, the recruiting process. I mean, it, it starts with the type of people we, we hire. And you know, it's it's really hard. I mean, it's it's um it's something that's taken me a long time to figure out in the uh, in my career is how to how to find that right balance between someone that's smart, knows what they're doing, and can add a lot of value knowledge wise, which is why a big part of why people hire consultants. But you need it to be sort of a a confidence and an intelligence level that's in check, if you will. It's it's you need someone that's sort of humble. They're you know, ideally, you can find someone that's really smart and knows everything about everything, but they're super humble. But that's really hard to find because usually, you know, someone that smart is not going to be humble. So, um, so that's always hard. And and we rule out a lot of people that we, on paper would be great consultants, or maybe they have been great consultants at other places, but we just don't hire them because they, we don't feel like the team, the team chemistry is going to work out. And um, I don't know if you have I ever asked you if you have you ever seen that uh, TV show on Apple Plus called Ted Lasso? Do you by chance watch that? Mm-mm. Okay. So no, there's a show on, bear with me. I'm going to come back to your question, but this is very relevant, but there's a show that our kids, our family watches it together. Cause it's a, it's a good family show. It's about um, an American football coach that goes to Europe to be the head coach of a soccer team, but he knows nothing about soccer. 
and there's a whole lot of sub stories and subplots and stuff. But he goes there, and he uh, he has this one player who's a who's a young superstar. He's by far their best player, talent wise, on the team. But he's a total cancer in the locker room, and so they make the difficult decision that he needs to go, and so they actually get rid of him, which is a very controversial decision for the fans and all this stuff because he's a you know popular player, not because people like him, but because he's a good player. So it just reminds me when I saw that I was I was actually telling my kids in the episodes leading up to his departure, I was I kept telling them they've got to get rid of him, and it was like so strong in my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, I hope they don't keep this kid. They've got to get rid of this guy, even though he's putting up all their points and he's you know the best offensive defensive player they have. Um, so anyway, I bring that up because that's a lot like you know it kind of reminds me of consulting. You have to find that chemistry, and so if you find someone who is humble. Like I was saying before, they, they know their stuff, but they're still humble and they're flexible and they're willing to learn. And they're not too, uh, consumed by the Kool-Aid of the industry, which is another problem or another challenge we have is finding people that are knowledgeable, have some experience, but aren't so knowledgeable and experienced that they're blindly drinking the Kool-Aid of the industry that has led to so many millions of dollars of failures and, you know, uh, botched implementation. So, Having said all that, that recruiting is where it starts. And then once we have a good team in place and once we hire someone, then we go through a training process where um, we have a lot of videos, like on-demand videos we we use for training purposes. And then we also do monthly workshops internally that unpack different things like case studies of specific client projects and uh, walkthroughs of our methodologies and tools and templates and all that stuff. And so we record all those. We do them live with our team. We record them and then we have new hires watch those videos You know, if they're hired after the fact. And then obviously part of their ongoing training are those work, those monthly workshops. So we try to do stuff like that. Um, we also do a lot of cross collaboration of project teams. So we don't put just one person on a project. We'll put two to three to four people on a project just to make sure that you're getting the best of multiple brains and you're getting, you know, a better collaborative result. So those are some of the things we do to train and get people kind of operating as a, as a stronger team. Yeah, definitely. And something that Cam mentioned, and I've noticed, you know, in being a part of the third stage team, is it seems as though your senior leadership team, your directors, your um, senior project managers have this kind of mentorship mentality with the younger associate consultants or consultants. Um, And I wondered how did you find people that like to kind of coach um, when you were looking for your your team or or what did that look like? Because that seems like something that Cam referenced and I like too, people are always excited to kind of talk to you about what they do. Um, and I wonder is, is that a cultural thing with, with the business or was that a aspect that you really looked for when resourcing? Yeah, it, it's an aspect we look for when resourcing and it's, it's similar to the, you know, the humble nature that we're looking for and the, the people that are willing to collaborate in general, you know, we generally look for people that want to collaborate. They don't want to work alone. They, Maybe they tried being a a solo consultant on their own or a one man or woman show and they want to be part of a bigger team. And that's appealing to us because that, you know, that tells you that, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of loneliness and limitation that comes with working by yourself if, you know, as a a solo consultant, but if you have a team that you're, you're part of, you're going to be able to do a lot more. And so we look for people that want that and value that. And so that's one layer. And then obviously there's a leadership piece of that. That's more of the coaching or the mentorship that you're talking about, which is somewhat you know, it's very collaborative, obviously, but it's, uh, it's also something, it's a trait that you, you want to find in people. In fact, I like, actually really like hiring people that coach something that have coached in the past or they coach 
they coach their kid's team or anytime someone has that on their resume, it, it appeals to me because I think, okay, that person knows how to teach a kid how to play soccer or football or basketball or whatever. And not that that's at all the same as what we do, but if you can coach a kid how to do something that fundamental and that basic, that's the kind of thinking and personality that we need as, as a good consultant. So we tend to look for a lot of, you know, un things that aren't directly related to being a good consultant, but they are very transferable. Okay. Thanks, Skylar. We're going to take a quick break and uh, come back with more discussion around uh, this whole idea of, of the life of a consultant. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. I'm here with Kyler talking about the life of a consultant and what it takes to adjust to being a consultant and, and the pros and cons of consulting. So let's jump right back into the conversation. In my experience, people that work in more of technical type of IT software, they always aren't the most approachable. So I, I wondered, um, you know, I think that they're like, you've done such a good job in the, the third stage leadership team of still having those extremely smart type of analyst um, mentality and bringing them in and kind of setting them up for success um, so do you go through an exercise where you kind of match um, personality and culture to clients too, when you're like, Hey, I have this person that that's super smart, but may not be as outgoing. Do you look at them and say, okay, when we're setting up project teams, maybe he or she isn't a good fit. Is that kind of a process you go through? Yeah. And it's also not just the fit with the client, but even just the, or, or not even individual fits with particular clients, but also the team the team that we put together for that client, you need, you need a team that's balanced. So in, in other words, it's very rare that we put a team in front of a client that's, you know, three really strong project managers or, you know, two people that are really technical and really good at the technology piece. Usually we would say, well, let's get a really strong technical person because we need it for whatever reason on this project. And let's get someone that's really good at change management. And then let's get a, a, someone that's really strong at program management. I mean, you would love to have a couple of people that are really good at all of those things, but we're all experts in certain things and have strengths and weaknesses in certain things. So it's the key is to put together that overall team that the culturally and skill set wise best fits that particular cult can that particular client in that particular project. Yeah, definitely. And so where, if you do need a certain expertise or, or you're looking at the, um, you know, from a, a 10 foot view of the organization um, and you see there's a gap, where do you go? to look for candidates? Well, that's a good question as far as when we're hiring our team or, or expanding our yeah, team. Yeah, or like, you know, 
So I know Cam had mentioned that he was kind of networking with you. Is that how you usually find most of your talent in the organization? Or is there another route that maybe our listeners can go through if they are interested in looking at a, a career path in, in consulting? Yeah, I mean, I think networking is the most powerful one. Um, you know, we've hired a lot of people that I've either worked for with in the past or I've crossed paths with in some way in the past. And so, um, I just know them and I'll, I'll always take someone that I know and, and familiar with, uh, all things being equal. I'll always take that person that I know I'm, and I'm familiar with, even if I think they might not be quite as good as someone that I don't know that I just hire off the street. If, if it's a, a slight drop or I feel like it's not quite, you know, the right skill set, but I know them and there's a familiarity there, I'll, I'll typically hire the person I know because chances are the cultural aspect is going to work out a lot better and the chemistry is going to be a lot better um, because I know the person and, and I know typically I know them well enough to know how they might or might not fit into, uh, you know, the team we're trying to create. Um, so I'd say the more you can network and just get on the radar of, of people, uh, the better. I've had some people that we've hired that have I've just interacted with on social media over a certain amount of time and they're very persistent and they constantly interact with me and I, it gets to the point where I feel like I know them. And then they reach out and want a job or they want to talk about joining the team and it makes it easier for me to say, yeah, I know, I know of you. And, you know, I may not know if they're a great fit or not. It's not necessarily that I'm a guarantee that I'm going to hire them or that we're going to hire them, but it'll, they're at least on the radar and I can kind of grease the wheels to make sure they get through the process and get, get a good look, you know, in our recruiting process. Absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like you'd like every candidate that's listening right now to just send you an email is what I'm hearing. <laughs> right. Cause I read all my emails in a very timely fashion as, as you, you know, well in my uh, very slow response time to emails, but, uh, no, no, no. but it's true. I mean, through repetition, I mean, if someone, someone posts on my LinkedIn account or comments on my LinkedIn account three, four or five times, I may not see every one of them, but I start to see that person repetitively. And you know, then I start wondering like, who is this person? And there's times where I'll just go look at, people's profiles. And then there's times where I've reached out to people and said, Hey, you know, I see you commenting on my stuff. I looked at your profile. You look like you might have, you know, the right skills for what we're hiring for. Is this something you'd be interested in? So there's been times where I've approached people too. Um, especially if I know there's a specific need we're trying to fill on our team. Like right now we're trying to hire a, a few key positions and I've actually actively reached out to people that I can think of in my network that I know of. Um, and so that's, you know, back to your question of how do you, how do you break into the industry or how do you further your career or make a, make a shift if you want to go to a different consulting firm like third stage, then, you know, reach out to someone, make contact and, and interact any way you can. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think just having that confidence like Cam did, you know, to, to start those conversations or ask questions, you know, people are never going to balk at you. And if they do, you know, it's a great non-culture fit, right? So um, I think that was a, a great recommendation. I, I liked when he talked kind of about um, lifestyle balance, because I think consulting roles, to his point, are so interesting where it's, it is a lifestyle, right? It's, it's not so much a job. Um, there's different hours that you may work. There's different travel when it comes to that. Um, so I, I wondered if, if you might tell us um, how being a consultant may benefit or have some um, disparities in your kind of lifestyle balance um, in knowing that you've been a career consultant, right? Yeah, it's, um, 
yeah, probably not the, honestly, I'm not the best, uh, the best resource for work-life balance advice because I, I struggle with it, to be honest. Um, I, it's gotten better since I've had kids. That's made it to where you, it, in some ways you have to find balance in other ways you, you become, you, you start to want to, which, uh, I won't get into my whole personal story, but it, there's, it's taken me some time to, to get to the point where I want to be, to, I want that balance now, but I, it, I didn't always want that. So, uh, but I still, having said that, I still, uh, I still struggle with it because I, my tendency is to work as much as I can just because I like it and I, I love working. And I know most people or a lot of people don't want to do that and they, they want to find less work, but I'm the opposite. So, uh, but what I would say is though, as far as just keeping your sanity and making sure you don't get out of balance, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's just important, you know, in consulting, you, you work really hard, but one thing I really like about consulting is there is flexibility. You're not, you're not sitting at a desk from eight to five every day doing the same thing. You're doing things that are totally different, which can be challenging and it can be stressful if, if it's not, if you're not cut out for it, or even if you are cut out for it, it can be stressful. Um, so that's, uh, that's part of it. But, but the other part is that, you know, you have to be comfortable knowing that, you know, like last week I was flying, I flew to Hanover, Pennsylvania, you know, sort of in the middle of nowhere and didn't get in until really late. It was after midnight. And so, you know, you just have a weird schedule. You get in late and then you have early meetings and then I had to fly out the next day. And, you know, so there's times like that where it's, it's a lot of work. And, but then I come home on a Friday or a Friday afternoon, I might take the afternoon off or go do something with the kids. And you can't always do that in other, other jobs. So I think you just have to sort of embrace the fact that you're going to work a lot. You're going to have weird hours, but then also embrace the fact that if it's, you know, two o'clock on a, Wednesday afternoon and you don't have calls for two more hours or nothing pressing you have to do right this minute, maybe you step out and go do something that, you know, puts your mind at ease or something fun. So I, that's, the, that's what I really like about consulting is that sort of flexibility and that, it, that, it, that helps with the work-life balance for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that that's something, at least for our family, as my, both my husband and I consult, it's a great um, opportunity for us to be more involved in our, our young children's lives. Um, but we also, you know, we take calls at night and we do work at night after bedtime and those types of things. Um, so it's definitely something to be mindful of when you're looking at a consulting career. Um, I'd also like to mention the ability to read a room, you know, in, in that type of social interaction. My husband, who's an excellent consultant, seems to be able to do that in a professional sphere, but sometimes it doesn't translate um, to the home in reading a room <laughs> right, right. all the time. Yeah. He can do it all the time with clients, but sometime like the other day, our two-year-old is having a huge tantrum and he comes in and he's like, are we ready to go? And I'm like, are you serious? After he just, you know, got done, you know, schmoozing clients on the phone. So, you know, right. compartmentalization is important. I think that's, that's so funny <laughs> you say that. Cause right before we went to film this podcast, I had a conversation with yeah. my wife who is our, um, who's also our CFO. And I was trying to, she was asking me something and I, I thought I had already explained it to her. So I got frustrated. And anyway, so she got, she got, she got mad and said, well, I hope you're not responsible for training other people in the company because you're horrible at it. And I thought, wow. <laughs> so I, I agree with you. I mean, I know it's, it, and it's hard, you know, you work with, with Adam and I work with uh, Kelly, my wife. So it's uh it is, it can be hard to compartmentalize, but it is a, it is a good point though, that, um, you know, I, I don't know about Adam, but for me, I don't have, I, I don't know that I necessarily naturally have the skills required to be a good consultant, but I know when to turn them on. 
Like I know when I have to flip the switch and be a certain way or, you know, to demonstrate certain parts, parts of my personality that wouldn't normally come out. And so at home, I don't always, the switch isn't always on. And so, you know, you kind of get sideways sometimes, but you have to know that as a consultant, you have to know, you know, like for me, I'm, a, I'm an extreme introvert, for example, if I just let myself be an introvert, I'd probably not be a very good consultant. So I have to sort of force myself to do things like this podcast on video where people are watching and where I'm talking a lot and I don't like talking a lot or it's not in my nature to, to want to talk a lot, which may surprise people, but, um, I, it's not my, it's not my nature. So I have to force myself to do it. So it's just stuff like that, like recognizing where your personality weaknesses are and and trying to plug them or get better and and strength, solidify those. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that awareness overall is, is key. And I think the consulting role kind of pushes you to really identify those pieces of your personality um, and, you know, where you need to talk and when you need to listen, um, like we were talking about with Cam and, you know, being the consultant, therapist, you know, mom, dad, you know, those type of things um, that they all take a different role. But, um, you know, thank you for for Cam too for taking us through what that roadmap looks like, because I think a lot of people are intimidated by the word consultant. And it's great to see someone like Cam, who is, you know, young uh, a, a dad and um, a remote worker that has seen success in the industry. So that was a great interview. And we definitely appreciate you and him sharing all of that insight with us. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say, just to kind of close the loop on that, that point is that, um, you know, Cameron didn't come into third stage with, uh, with much experience, especially not in consulting. So, but it didn't matter. And he was actually worried about it. He didn't, he didn't share that in the interview, but he was worried that, he, he hasn't been a consultant. So how could he possibly succeed at this young, you know, at the time we were much smaller and younger than we are now as, a, as an organization. And he was just worried that he wouldn't be able to contribute. But I, he was one of the ones, by the way, that he didn't come to me asking for a job. I actually asked him, have you ever thought about being a consultant? Because I think he'd be really good. And because um, he reminds me, you know, there's parts of his personality that remind me of when I was that age. And I just saw a lot of that uh, potential. And so, um, so I think those raw skills, you know, there's raw skills that if you have those naturally and inherently, and he does, and you, I can't teach that to people, but if you have it naturally, then that's going to, you're going to learn the stuff you need to learn and you're going to figure it out. And those raw skills are much more important. And that, and we get back to that chemistry and how do you put a team together? That's, that's a really important part of it. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, it was a good discussion. I like hearing, it's always interesting to talk to any consultant in their career journey, but especially someone early on, I always love to hear the story of how they transition and adjust and the drinking from the fire hose dynamic and the stress yeah. that comes along with it. But then you start sure. to settle into a groove and whatnot. So that was good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and if our audience wants to hear any more of that, Eric and Cam, um, and I, I think it was Brian Lacaruba, but I'm not 100% sure, did um, a session at our digital stratosphere on just any questions about being a consultant. And we had huge um, engagement from the audience and great questions. So you can head over to our YouTube channel um, and see some more discussion to um, from kind of a, a junior level, obviously a, a senior executive from Eric. And then we also had um, a senior manager on there. So kind of mid-tier in the career path. So um, great discussions there too, all very interesting. I, I think the thing that that I always um, love about third stage and going through kind of that um, that almost mindful interview process is um, that everyone is so passionate about their overall career here. And when 
from the marketing side, whenever you do ask them to, hey, will you do a podcast on business operations or organizational change management? Um, I don't think we've said that yet in this episode, which is, you know, probably the first time we've, we haven't talked about OCM, but they're always willing um, and want to engage in those conversations to help our audience and our clients. So, um, so I think that's, a, you know, just a great overall uh, kind of lens into the business culture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Agree with that. So, well, good. Well, that's, that's good stuff. Thanks for, uh, thanks for those great questions and for the, uh, all the other info you've shared in this episode. And, and certainly thanks to Cameron for being on the show and thank you to the audience for being on the show and, and for, uh, asking questions. I know during Cameron's session, we had some questions from the, the live audience when we, when we recorded that interview. So thanks to everyone who's, uh, participating in that way. And, uh, again, you can find us every Wednesday on YouTube and all the social media or on the uh, podcast platforms, I should say, and, uh, be sure to follow us on social media too. Uh, we're as particularly active on LinkedIn and YouTube, uh, as well as Twitter and Instagram and others, but uh, LinkedIn and YouTube are probably the two that we're most active in, in terms of publishing multiple things every day. And it's a great way to stay up to speed on consulting, digital transformation, business transformation in general. Um, so I want to thank you all for being here. I hope you have a great day and we'll look forward to seeing you next week on the next episode of Transformation Ground Control. Have a great week in the meantime. Thank you.